Hey, Frog, guess what? What? Episode three of the Frog Snacks podcast. Oh, snaps. Yeah, we're here. We're here, and we're excited, and we're excited for a lot of reasons. Uh, first couple of reasons, I went ahead and got the Twitter set up. That's at Frog Snacks. Uh, the email that I said that we had during the first episode is incorrect. Uh, it's Frog Snacks Podcast at Yahoo. Uh, you can tweet us nice things. You can email us nice things. Um, only nice things. Only nice things. We're sensitive guys. Uh, you want to ask us questions, we can answer them. If you want our opinion on things, we have plenty of those to go around. So do not hesitate. Um, let us know. And uh, we will we will honor all uh, questions within reason. Um, the other thing that we're hype about is, of course, PAX East 2015, which is the premise of today's episode. It is the PAX East podcast uh, preview podcast. Now, the, what I wanted to st- what I wanted to start out with was uh, to go over some some infrastructure stats. Now, okay. one of the one of the things that I've noticed after doing a little bit of research into the into the PAXs, because you know we were sort of flirting with the idea of going to PAX South in the near future. Uh, right. We have gone to PAX East plenty of times. Um, I wanted to see, and one of the one of the things one of the questions that I had uh, about going to one PAX over the other was what they have in terms of infrastructure, what the city is like, what uh, the venue is like, and. Um, one of the things I was I was almost certain I was going to find was that the the Boston Convention and Exposition Center is the biggest venue that PAX occupies. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to let you know, you and the listeners, because I haven't shared these statistics with you. I was very right. I have uh, I have a <laughs> very few, right. I have a few numbers uh, that I want to share with you all. Um, the a little bit of a backstory: the the Boston Convention and Exposition Center was built in the late was, 04, com- right? was commissioned in the late 90s and built in and completed in 04. Now, what I didn't know was why they built it. Why they built it was because the old Macworld convention, which I guess is still a thing, but it's much smaller now. Right. The Macworld convention was held at the Heinz Convention Center in Boston for the first couple of years. Oh, really? I didn't know that. It was. And wh- what happened was they were basically like, this venue is too small. We're going to go to Jacob Javits and in New York. For those of you right. who don't know, Jacob Javits is, is the... Um, is a, New York's a, WAC Convention Center. New York's WAC Convention Center, uh, you know, shoved somewhere between 11th Avenue and the Hudson River. Yeah. Sort of, you know... Just shoved the most perfect word for it. Yeah, it's... It's, it's like, it's, I guess we have to have this thing. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're going to have a convention in New York City... For the love of dumb, God, first of all, for the, you're, you're dumb, but for the love of God, don't have it in Manhattan. There's just no room. The only option is Jacob Javits. And if, if you if you are a convention of any uh, of any size or circumstance, you you just need a bigger space. What they yeah. should do is is look into building one in the old World's Fairgrounds in Queens, or maybe you know someplace in Brooklyn or something, any, any someplace where there is space for things. Right. Um, you know, even go, go as far as to having it in the um, in the old Meadowlands, where like the MLG tournament is held. But that's New Jersey. That is New Jersey, but I mean, whatever. It's the sixth borough. North New Jersey is the sixth borough. <laughs> I now, like that. But okay, on. so so MacWorld moves to Jacob Javits, and Boston, 
basically says, oh, okay, you, it's going to be like that? Fine. We'll build the biggest convention center any of you have ever seen. And that's what they did. Uh, for those of you who have not been to the Boston Convention and Exposition Center is beyond massive. It is a mass. It's the Death Star of convention centers. It is the. It is gigantic. I wanted to know exactly how gigantic it was, so I did a little bit of research, and this is how I. This is one of the things I found out was how it was came to be. But um, as far as size goes, uh, let me start out with the smallest packs, which is packs prime in Seattle. I figured in Seattle. Now the Washington State Convention Center is. Um, has a total rentable space of less than 500,000 square feet. Really? Really. Now, I, I'm told that PAX Prime occupies more than one location. Yeah, apparently I think they have it in four buildings. Four buildings, but the main building, the Washington State Convention Center, is less than 500,000 square feet. Now, uh, Jacob Javits is about 650,000 square feet, so we're talking even smaller than Jacob Javits, which is impressive. Uh, <laughs> impressively bad, but yes, which is, is impressively impressive. bad. Now, so I, I looked into San Antonio because that's where Pack South is, and that's that's sort of our um, our next uh, potential venture. Potential venture. Uh, if Pax East is Mecca, Pax South is Medina. And I like that. We are uh, we are very interested in. One, seeing San Antonio, for me personally, seeing San Antonio, and then two, also going to a different PAX. We've been going to PAX East for quite some time, um, and we love it, but uh, it's always good to see what else there is out there. Now, right. the San Antonio Convention Center, uh, it's the Hen Henry Gonzalez uh, Convention Center, something like that, um, mm. occupies 1.3 million square feet. Which is pretty good. Which is pretty good. But compared to the Boston, Boston Convention and Exposition Center, it is almost a half a million square feet its junior. The Boston Convention and Exhibition Center weighs in at 1.7 million square feet. 1. It's a 7, big place. It's, it's a big place. And uh, according to the Convention Center's website... They have been approved for an 850,000 square foot expansion. Where? <laughs> I, I have no clue. I have no clue. If you've been to PAX East, you know that as soon as you cross that little bridge over into South Boston and you gaze upon this Leviathanic, gargantuan, biblical, Old Testament-ass <laughs> building, this, like, Tower of Babylon, like... This yeah. massive building. You you would think that you. I mean, like there's no. The Justice League's Watchtower of Convention oh, Centers. Oh my God! It is. It is. If you took. If you took the Washington State. Uh, if you took the Washington State Convention Center and stapled it to the South, uh, the San Antonio Convention Center, it still wouldn't <laughs> you be would as big. It still wouldn't be as big as the the Boston Convention and Exposition Center, and they want to make it. 850,000 I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know if they're going to add sub-basements. I don't know if they're going to add um, a, a moat. I don't know <laughs> what they're going to do to make it that much bigger in that little space. Now, Boston, for any of you who are familiar with, is a, is a, is a relatively small city as, uh, as far as uh, square mileage is concerned. 
It's about right. it's about the size of the Bronx, which is New York City's fourth smallest of the five boroughs. Um, so it, it's it's cramped. There's not a lot of space. The big uh, con, no pun intended, of having <laughs> PAX East in Boston is that uh, the convention center, while massive, is not exactly great for location. It's close to the airport. But it's a bit of a walk from downtown and doesn't really see a whole lot of um, yeah, it's good, really out of the way. Good metro service. The the metro doesn't go that uh, that cl- the T as they call it in Boston isn't that close. Um, you you do have to walk and it's usually held in March or April, uh, which is a very cold time for New England, USA. April wasn't, but March is, uh, March is hell. April was better. April was better. Last year it was the first weekend in April. This year it is the first weekend in March. And Boston right now is, is sitting on seven feet of snow, uh, last time I checked. So we're, we're basically leaving what we believe is the frozen tundra of New York and going to what is even the, more frozen even tundra, more frozen double tundra of Boston, Massachusetts. Um, so the, those are the two cons that I, I can always uh, point to is that a uh, little bit far away from downtown, um, cold weather time of year. Those are the two cons. But the pros uh, most certainly outweigh the cons. Uh, Boston, most certainly. Boston is a, is a very fun town. Uh, we always have a lot of fun when we go there. Lots of good restaurants, uh, decent public transportation system. I've got buddies that live there. I always have a blast when I'm there, um, and they have the best, the fourth largest convention center in North America, which is impressive. Considering oh, in North America, I knew it was one of the biggest in the country. I didn't know in North America. Fourth largest in North America, which is impressive considering the size of Boston. Yeah, seriously. You know, when you have cities like Chicago and Vegas, which I think are one and three, have the number one and three. Respectively, you're talking about Chicago is the biggest one in the country, right? Isn't it? Chicago is the biggest one in the country. I think Vegas is third. And then there's another, you know, comparatively large city that has the second um, largest. It's probably L.A. because that one I heard uh, the L.A. convention center I heard is extremely huge. Yeah. I mean, the the, uh, when the when the Raiders played in Los Angeles back in the day, their uh, their stadium seated the most out of any NFL stadium that seated like a hundred thousand people, which is amazing. Wow. Yeah. That was the one that they built for the Olympics. LA has space. Boston does not. And that's why, and that's <laughs> no, why space for days, but space for days. And that's why we're impressed with it, uh, with it being there. So, so that's what, that's what we're going with on infrastructure. It's a, it's a, it's a building that's basically the entire size of downtown Boston and it's right across the river from downtown Boston, so you can sort of like stand on the bridge, look at one, and then look at the other, and like not know which one is which. Pretty much. Um, if you look at it from the side, you think it is the airport. Yeah, it it also it actually looks like a giant airplane hangar. It looks like the airport. So, uh, so, so as we do every year, uh, when they post the PAX East schedule, we look at it, make a rough list of all of the panels and things that we want to see. And uh, share it amongst amongst ourselves. Uh, I received Frog's uh, tentative schedule, uh, rough draft, if you will. A couple of mm-hmm. days ago, I looked at it. I was not surprised to find uh, gregarious amounts of overlap between the things that we are interested in. Um, 
The first thing I want to talk about is the uh, – you didn't put this down, but it, it sort of goes back to what we were talking about in episode one, which is the business basics for indies uh, panel. Right. Which is sort of talks about how you can you can live out this um, you know modern day starving artist lifestyle uh, better. You know how to run how to run an indie uh, developer smarter operation, right? Yeah, because because it really is just a, a time and a money sink with usually very small return on investment. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, I see that you put down the enabling co-op mode, improving identity-based conversations panel, uh, goes, going back to what we talked about last episode about the, about the recent trends in the rise in cooperative gameplay versus competitive and what you can expect, uh, for the future. Uh, I thought that was interesting. That's definitely something we should check out. Uh, you should check out, everybody should check out, uh, especially if you are in on the, cooperative trend that's happening as as frog and i are um we're very we're very, very in on that trend. very in on it very in on it by the way i spent uh i spent maybe i want to say i want to spend maybe two hours of my of my shift yesterday on the uh on the monster hunter database website uh <laughs> which is called Karanico. if if you uh play monster hunter and don't know what you're doing uh because you don't know what you're doing uh, go to Karanikos, K-I-R-A-N-I-C-O.com. They've got, uh, it's, it's a work in progress. Obviously the game is brand new, but it's, it's a fairly exhaustive database on, uh, what's going on. Uh, I learned a lot from just looking at it and I basically have been playing the game wrong for the past 40 hours, which is... <laughs> Which is always de- helpful to find out. Which is depressing, but you know, I, that's that's my fault for not doing my research before I poured all of my mats into you know whack ass hammers and shit. All right. Um, <laughs> right, you know, so that's on me. But uh, it, if you want to, you live, you learn. If you want to avoid the same fate, Karanico.com has most of the information that you're going to need. Um, so, awesome games done quick is having a panel this year. Oh, that was that to me is a must see. That's a must see, and I, I I actually wrote this down. This was the first this was the first panel that you and I had uh, both written down for our I- independently jotted concocted schedules. Know, concocted schedules. Um, I wanted to talk about the awesome games done quick community, and I, I do want to say that it's a community. The speed run community. It absolutely is a community. The speed run community is. Uh, I want to say was sort of lurking, was sort of like in the shadows for a while. I feel like it didn't really have a, I mean, there were, there were websites dedicated to like world speedrun records and stuff like that. Uh, right. but it wasn't until awesome games done quick became a, a, a thing where you could actually see how people did it and do it yourself. And it's, it's, it's great because it's a completely different, um, sort of like DIY tinkerer type of gamer who's just there to deconstruct their favorite games and see how they can beat it on a completely different level than just completing a narrative. You know, yeah, it's, it's, this would be yeah, the no. speedrun community is about beating the game in like the purest sense of the term where it's not about just when we say a person beats a game today, you just mean that you finish the main quest. They are seeking 
again, as our, our good friend Donald, I'm sure, has immense respect for the speedrun community. Oh, yeah. Because it's, uh, it is, they, it's basically a community of people like him, where the goal is not to finish the game. The goal is to... Conquer the game. Yeah, it's to mentally own the game. Yeah. To know, every, to know the game like you would know a lover. Which yeah. sounds a little ridiculous, but that really is the extent to which you have to go. It really is. And the only comparison I can think of is, you know, uh, 10 years ago, one of my favorite one of my favorite games of all time was released, Shadow of the Colossus. Now, there, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a small community of, of players who, you know, obviously lengthy speedruns have been done of this game, but there's also, um, there's also a, a community of people who really broke into the game like really broke in and found out you know basically things that weren't meant for the players to see things that were left behind by the developers from beta builds and alpha builds and stuff like that right um finding out where extra colossi might have been stuff like that if you watch the speed run of pokemon blue and red uh that's basically what these what these people do they they deconstruct it to the point where they can see, you know, the the most basic skeleton of the game. And not only that, but find a way to exploit it to their own advantage. Yep. And it's it's great because it doesn't it it's the only instance I can think of where you completely take something apart in in terms of technology. Take take something apart and it and it adds to the, the value it adds to the value it adds to the experience uh you know i mean some of the games that ag uh dq has done in their in their fundraising event is were games that i, I would never even think of had a, a speed run speed run following a, you know or at least a, de- a, a fan base dedicated enough to want to know how to beat it in a specific amount of time this is very true it's, it's the, one of the that, things i think yeah. is so impressive about that event uh, aside from the philanthropic aspect, which we'll get to later, but mm-hmm. uh, is that it's such an exhaustive list of oh games that they God. play. They had my. I was most impressed with, and I don't know if it was the one that they had just done or the one that they did last summer, but they they did um, within the past within the past seven months um, that Sneak King game. That you remember with the Burger King Sneak King game? Yeah, remember Burger King came out with like three Xbox 360 games. They were all like four dollars each. You can get them at GameStop, and they were just small, weird games with the that like creepy king mascot. Yeah, I, that I remember had, that. That like in fact, a couple people I knew had it. Yeah, that like intentionally creepy king character. They had like the yeah. sneaking one, and then they had like a driving one. Somebody sped run the sneaking Burger King King game. I, I I was thoroughly impressed. I'm so I don't even know what to say yeah, to that. Yeah, you know, it's it was super weird. <laughs> but I'm I'm glad someone did it because that's just that just epitomizes the spirit of AGDQ. It's just like we're gonna be you know, this isn't this isn't it's almost like they're doing it for themselves, but so many other people can benefit from it, even if it's just like, oh, this is weird, I don't know this existed. Yeah. So, uh, you know, big, big shouts to the speedrun community. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that they're finally getting a, a PAX panel. Um, you know, maybe even, you know, it, they're, going to, they're going to showcase a speedrun at the panel. 
And I think it's only a matter of time before they're going to have a, you know, a, maybe like a speed running booth. You know, this is, you know, how to speed run. They'll do, you know, one game a day. You know, they'll do a, a, a Friday game, a Saturday game, and a Sunday game, and they can like show people how to speed run it. Or, you know, because it, it, it is super in-depth. It would take an entire day to show people how to do it and at least teach somebody how to do it. Yeah, and well, they'd also have to be committed to... I don't know if they could do something like that on the show floor. It'd probably have to be like a whole... They might have to have like a center, basically, like a mini center in one of those off rooms on the show floor. Yeah, definitely. To basically say, hey, come here and watch, uh, you know, and learn something as well, you know, to how to speed run whatever game it is that we're looking at. Yeah. Almost like a class, basically. Yeah. We're going to have a class on how to speed run sneaking. Yeah. Watch and learn as we, as we destroy one of your favorite childhood games. I remember watching one time, I watched a speed run of a Japanese player just demolishing Mario 64. Oh yeah. I've seen, I've seen, that was like one of the first like widely publicized speed running uh, people. I've, I saw that the one the Japanese uh, the Japanese and uh, Mario sixty four speed run that one's that one's pretty impressive. Yeah, because then they're glitches they're glitches that are so specific. Oh yeah, that you can't even begin to figure out how somebody would have figured out if I jump off of this side of the stage at this precise moment, I will end up in this precise area of the stage, which will save me you know approximately ten seconds. As I head to the goal. Yeah. And, you know, you can... Some of these are found out by accident. And I think that that might have been the origin of the speedrunning community is, oh, we found out you can skip half the game by doing this weird thing. I bet there are others just like it. And it turned into people actively searching for them, not, you know, by like randomly jumping off of things at random times, but just breaking the part, uh, breaking the game apart to its core software and finding out where these glitches, you know, exist, finding out where these holes exist. So it's, it's really fascinating stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad they have a panel this year. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's definitely, I think uh, a big part of it is that in general, uh, for a lot of the gaming community at large, that kind of tinker or DIY aspect, as you put it before, mm-hmm. is a very big deal, oh, yeah. which is why if you think about it, Broadening the discussion slightly, if you think about um, a lot of the problems that major video games have when they come out, less so with all the bug debacles of the last like few months, but I'm talking more just like uh, games come out and then the developers have to rush out a patch to balance some aspect of it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is because when you get a game in front of all these people, you know, especially a community like the gaming community. Uh, everybody is dedicated to figuring out how to break it. Yeah. You know, you basically, as a developer, you might have, in a crazy scenario, you might have three or 400 people working on this product, but you're going to throw it out to literally millions of hungry wolves waiting to tear this thing apart and find out how they can get one over. Yeah, and a lot of them are much smarter than the developers think. Some of them are might even be developers themselves. I mean, right. everybody everybody knows the, the famous, um, uh, oh, I didn't put any of that stuff in Super Smash Brothers Melee claim by Nintendo. You know, it, it's, it's like the community found this out. The community found this out. The community exploited it. And I mean, look at, look at Apex 2015. Right. So it's, it's come that far. So, you know, the, the developers need that help. And I think that that's, that's why you're seeing a lot of 
console games for the first time seeing beta releases. You know, you yeah, you didn't, because you didn't they can't before. afford at this point. Yeah, they to can. have the thing come out and you know be as unpolished as things have been more recently. Right, and it's always it's always scary putting an unfinished product out to the public. But if if you if you market it as a beta and make it a limited release, the feedback can be very important to a, a developing team. Because Absolutely. It's there's only so much a small group of developers can can catch, even if it is you know in the hundreds of people. More Absolutely. People, the more eyeballs, the better. So you know, I, I've I've gotten in on a, a couple of betas. I mean, the Halo Five beta is going to be running forever because they're not going to make that same mistake twice. So, <laughs> so you know, we hope. Yeah, we hope. I mean, I I really doubt it. I mean, it's just so colossal and so humiliating that I can't imagine that they would even come close to to making that same mistake again. I'm sure there'll be hiccups, but you know, not not to that extent. Um, so yeah, the Awesome Games Done Quick panel, that's going to be Friday at uh, 1 p.m., so nice and early. Get there nice and early. Um, of uh, course, this is PAX, a.k.a. LineCon. Yeah, LineCon. Um, <laughs> so we've got, although, although one of the benefits to having 1.7 million square feet is that there's plenty of breathing room. Oh, plenty. Plenty. That's why I said I stopped. For any of the fellow East Coasters that may be listening, you know, I long ago stopped going to New York Comic Con. Oh, it's because everything is such a hassle because of the lack of space. Yeah, go to go to one convention at BCEC. You will never step foot in the Javits Center. Jacob Javits Center ever again. You will never step foot in Jacob Javits. Um, or well, at least not for anything as nearly as popular as a uh, as Comic Con, yeah, as Comic Con, right? So um, immediately after that is the Smash Four tournament for Wii U. Uh, excited because this is this is the first PAX East to showcase PAX Four. We didn't uh, PAX Four Smash Four. We didn't have it last year, so you know there's going to be the first know, levels the, are going to be out out of the roof and i'm going to be right in the midst of it oh oh yeah of course you know i'm i'm going to be right there with you that the the thirst is is going to be nasty. it's going to be sahara desert in that place oh my god dude it's going they're going to be mirages in this bitch yeah this is going to be mirages you're going to you have to watch out kevin's going to be pissed oh he's going to be mad he's going to be furious he's because like, it's going to be yeah, smash players he thinks he's going to he thinks he's going to hang out in the handheld lounge that whole time and not have to deal with smash smash thirst he's out of his mind He's out of his mind because he's going to see one of two things. He'll be lucky if he sees Monster Hunter. He probably will. And then everybody else is going to be playing Smash Brothers. So yeah. So let's uh, not gas ourselves. All right. So uh, so after after the Smash after the Smash Four tournament, which is at two p.m. on Friday, is the uh, extra credits. Yes, uh, extra credits. Extra credits. Uh, Frog turned me on to extra credits. Uh, as recently as a couple days ago, I, I did not know extra extra credits. For those of you who don't know, is a YouTube series, an animated YouTube series, uh, highly informational. It's about video games. It's highly informational. Um, they add uh, a bunch of you know basically like flash cartoons to it. But uh, I watched the series on JRPGs versus Western RPGs and why it's sort of uh, a misnomer in a lot of ways, and why they should you know recon reconsider. Uh, the naming of the two genres. It was it was fascinating. It gave a lot of history, and the whole thing I think ran uh, eighteen minutes long total. So it's uh, which was at least over three weeks. Yeah, over three weeks. But I mean, six minutes an episode, so it was easily digestible. 
Yeah. Uh, so it was it was great. Uh, and as as uh, people who are new to the podcasting scene, uh, I think it's um, we could take away a lot from what they have to say about you know just shelling out information to the masses um, in a modern media such as YouTube or podcasting. So. So they're interesting guys. Check them out on YouTube if you haven't, and uh, you can see us at the panel there. Um, that's at 4 p.m. on Friday. Um, and then the last two that you had scheduled for Friday was a, um, a gamer identity and culture panel. And that, I think, is really important because, as I mentioned to you a couple of days ago, and said I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, at length, on the pod was PAX East to me or PAX to me has always had somewhat of a theme at their shows. Absolutely. Uh, And I think a a big, uh, a recurring theme, you know, not one that's any, that's, that's specific to any particular year, but is, is always a thing is how gamers and nerds and geeks and whatever, whatever other word you want to use have been, since you know, since you can since you can trace gaming back to its tabletop roots in the seventies, um, has sort of been marginalized, and they're they're definitely you you can't ignore the the fact that there is a stigma attached to playing games, whether they be you know uh, whether you're playing Magic the Gathering or whether you're playing video games or whether you're playing tabletop games or you know Warhammer forty k whatever. There is there is uh, a stigma. There are uh, archetypes that and stereotypes that need to be combated and. It, they can negatively affect uh, a lot of gamers, and PAX does a great job of really driving home the idea of inclusion, the idea of you're not alone, just look around you. Uh, right. you, you might be the only kid in your high school that plays Warhammer 40k, but we have uh, we have 600,000 square feet of show of show floor that proves that you aren't the only one who's into this stuff. Um, and we'll have tournaments all week, and you can participate. And it's and they always have panels that inco- that accompany this this aesthetic. Um, right. It's 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 really important. It's great. Um, you know, it, and there's there's always uh, there's never a shortage of panels that that champion this this intention. idea. So the first one of that is uh, called the Unexpected Journey: Geek Gamer Geek and Gamer Identity and Culture. That's 5 p.m. on Friday. Um, so let me, let me throw some thoughts in here about that one. Ahead. Because this one is a, a very important to me. Because uh, I think there's a few things that are going to be at play when you're – for course, as you said before, yeah, there's definitely always kind of a underlying uh, theme to PAX, which is not necessarily by anybody's one person's design, but usually just kind of a – it kind of indicates what what's on people's minds that particular part of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that's this year. The theme is definitely going to be inclusion, as we've had you know a lot of events last year that uh, seem to challenge, or at least have made a lot of people think: uh, Is this whole subculture as inclusive as we would all like it to be? Um, and I think this this panel is definitely going to be talking a lot about that. I have a feeling that it's going to heavily reference an article. I think, well, I should say, let me back up. I think that kind of the touch off for this 
is the article written by Leah Alexander, I think it was back in September, that set off a little bit of a firestorm when she said gamers are over, kind of uh, suggesting mm. that the, the term itself was outdated because now everybody plays games. Everybody plays um, games. You know, just to interject really quick. Yeah. I, I have a friend who claims to not be a gamer and to not know anything about games. And I saw her last week playing some, you know, free iOS game on her phone. Right. And I didn't say anything because I don't want to start nothing. But everybody is a gamer. My point is everybody is a gamer, even if you don't think you are. If you've ever played checkers and enjoyed it you're a gamer yeah i mean see this is one of those things where it's uh there's a lot of correct arguments to be made because what you said is absolutely correct though i think what um where the this kind of the firestorm has been set off is that you have a lot of people where this kind of stuff is not just you know that thing you do but ultimately, there's a lot of identity that goes with it, which is why you have things like the fanboy console wars and all that other nonsense, mm. where, you know, and that's, I think those kind of people are the ones who are really upset about the idea of somebody challenging the idea that being a quote unquote, a gamer is a completely separate identity that one would have. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I mean, hell, even if to myself, to a certain degree, you know, I take this stuff way more seriously than, for example, your friend who's playing the free iOS game. And I suppose that's kind of uh, what the people critiquing the idea that, uh, you know, we shouldn't divide people by this term are kind of, um, are kind of getting at. Mm-hmm. At the same time, being overly tribalistic is never a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where we end up bumping up against the the whole debate with inclusion. Because when you start to get into who's in, who's not in, then that's when things really get nasty. Do you know what I mean? Are you saying that um, the idea of inclusion within the gaming community is clashing with the idea that gamers are somehow, you know, socially marginalized and that some people have taken the marginalization as maybe a badge of honor and don't want to see it be inclusive. You said that better than I could have said it. <laughs> Thank you. And I think that's exactly what you're saying is yeah. uh, a lot of people who are like, Oh, now you think it's cool. You right. know, that kind of feeling. Right. Like we've been here since 1984, you know, don't. Yeah. Don't, don't come here now. But, and when I call yourself a gamer, just because you're playing a few rounds of Candy Crush on, on the train. Right. And you know what? You know, what? I, I can understand the mindset mm-hmm. because even I, you know, I, I'm loath to bring up my, uh, my love of gaming in, in the public. Actually, this is a good segue into something I wanted to bring up. As soon as you started talking about inclusion, uh, this reminded me of this thing that I said to my other friend because... One of my other friends uh, from school was saying how he believes that gaming has basically become totally mainstream. It's so awesome. It's completely mainstream. Everything is great there. Da, 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 da. And I said to him basically the following. Mm-hmm. 
I said to him, I do not believe that it is nearly as mainstream as you would think. And I said to him, what he says, why is that? It's because of this. Let's say you meet somebody who you've never seen before. You know, you just met them today. And you're kind of trying to start talking to them, trying to get to know them a little better, try to kind of build a friendship, right? Yeah. So naturally, one of those first things you're going to do when you're trying to establish common ground is talk about hobbies. If you said to that person, you know, I'm a really big sports fan, Mm -hmm. they're not going to bat an eyelash. Good chance they may say, oh, me too. What's your favorite team? Yeah. If you say to somebody, I'm a big music fan, not going to bat an eyelash. What kind of music do you like? Who's your favorite band? Yeah. Who's your favorite band? What's your favorite artist? What's your favorite genre? Blah, blah, blah. If you say to somebody, I'm a big film buff, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, that's great. You know, I'm I'm going to movies too. What kind of movies do you like? TV, same thing. I'm a big gamer. Here's where things get dicey. If we go back even to, let's say, 2004, 2005, 10 years ago, even back just 10 years, uh, the best you could have hoped for if you said that to somebody you didn't know is an eye roll. Mm. That's the best you could have hoped for. Uh, If not getting the look of, oh, boy, I got one of those weirdos. Right. Now, it's a little dicier. Because now, you might still get the eye roll. You know, you're you're much less likely, I think, to get the people who are going to flat out think that you're some kind of, uh, you know, basement-dwelling weirdo. But you're definitely going to uh, get a few people who will give you eye rolls. And then you'll get the people who will say, oh, me too. You know, I play Call of Duty. Which right. is not necessarily to trash Call of Duty, but simply to say, for a lot of people, that's kind of the only game. And then if you're the kind of person who is very actively engaged with the culture at large, you know, going to events like a PAX East, you know, having the discussions about inclusion and that kind of thing, and looking for the next game that's going to validate art gaming as a, as a, you know, a legitimate medium, as a piece of art, then you're kind of like, eh... Thanks, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, and so it's you have com- that. And then also the third person, yeah. uh, which is slightly related to the Call of Duty person. And you could, by the way, you can substitute Call of Duty for Madden or any other massively popular game yeah, that titles. many of the people who play it, that's their only game that they play. Yeah. Uh, but similar to that, the person, you say they say they like video games or whatever. But if you really start trying to go in depth with that person... You know, if you start, if you meet the person who's like, oh, yeah, you know, I can rock with a game or two. I play some college. I play this or that. And then you start talking about things like Xenoblade. Mm-hmm. Then, then they, they might turn into the person saying, oh, we got a basement dwelling weirdo on our hands. Yeah. It's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's while it's changing rapidly. We're in, a tra- we're in a period of transition. The culture is in a period of transition where it's, it's, letting, it's letting a lot of people in, but the rabbit hole goes a lot deeper than a lot of those people realize. Exactly. And, and you can still come off as uh, marginalized if you are as into it as, say, you and I are. Um, exactly. Yeah. Which is why I would say that it is still not the time to be like, uh, Yay! I'm a huge fan of games, and we're gonna talk about that because it's awesome. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> and you know, I'm gonna. Here's where I'm gonna be honest. This is where you and I may disagree. Okay. Is that um, I, re- I very rarely disagree with Frog, so I'm excited to hear. <laughs> I'm excited to hear this. 
where where you may disagree is that I actually am skeptical about the idea that it'll ever be something where we can be quite as gung-ho about it publicly as, let's say, the film buff is. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a distinction that a lot of people like to make online. Like, oh, when will we get to the point where it's as legitimized as film? You know, and I, I do not see that day coming. And the reason like I don't is because... In your lifetime be- or like not in the near future or like ever? I hate to say the word ever, but right. I look at... I'll put it this way. I look at games like I look at comic books. Okay. Comic books, anybody who knows uh, anything worth of substance about comics knows that there's a lot of them that are, you know, wonderful, wonderful pieces of art, you know, can take you to some great places, can express things in a way that no other medium can really do. But at the same time, the comic book as a overall medium is still pretty marginalized despite having existed for, you know, what, a hundred years? Yeah. In its like current form for about 60, 60 70? Like, yeah, I know what you mean. So, and when, why is that? It, that's because of a lot of the business pressures uh, have kind of limited the ability of comics to, re- I suppose, realize their full potential and really break out to a mainstream audience, especially in a world, hilariously, a world dominated by video games. Yeah. And the reason I made that comparison now is that I think we're going to see games really, we're already at that same crossroad. You know, it's wonderful that you have all these indie games these days that can really break out and do these kind of different crazy things. But as far as things that get mainstream attention, both in terms of sales and public viewership, those are all shoot 'em up, bang, bang, massively violent. Uh, fairly cookie cutter, you know, style action games. You're yeah. not going to see something like Journey picking up huge mainstream press or yeah. sales for that matter. Yeah. Uh, and so I am a little skeptical of the idea that it's going to be at any time soon something that, you know, regular people will be able to co sign and be like, oh, gaming, okay, that's, I get it. And then don't, and then let's not forget that last year's uh, gaming culture events certainly do not help that cause. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. So I'm very skeptical uh, that it's going to be at that full mainstream level we outlined earlier for quite a while. So now, what what do you what do you take away from that? What do you think? That's fair. I, I think that the comparison to comic books sort of got me on the same page as you uh, because even they've been around for longer and you still see the same sort of marginalization. Um, and then, you know, you saw the, you saw this weird trend where like it was cool to be a nerd and then it like it ended and it was just like a joke. And I, I think we might be in that stage for video games right now. Um, yeah. I mean, with, with comic books, it's even a little more complicated because now you have now the fact that superhero movies run Hollywood. Run like Hollywood. Absurd they have, a degree. They have uh, they have uh, Marvel and DC movies lined up through 2017. 2017. Are, Marvel's already going through like 2019, they, 2020. They can uh, they can they're going to they're going to milk it as much as they can, and I know so many people who are really stoked about it. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I think the, the comparison to uh, comic books makes a lot of sense. Uh, there's a lot of overlap in the in the fandom. There's um, a lot of similarities in you know at this at the same point in their lifespan uh, between video games and comic books. So I, I, I see what, I see what you mean. Um, I would like to disagree, but you make a very strong argument as per usual. So. You know, uh, we'll we'll see. It's it's definitely something to look into whether you whether you think it is going to be inclusive or not, whether you want it to be more inclusive or not. It's it's uh, an important topic of discussion at the very least. So um, that panel is uh, that panel is going to be uh, five p.m. five p.m. Friday. Um, on to Saturday. Uh, I like that you put the awesome video game data panel at eleven thirty a.m. on Saturday. Um, oh, you yeah, have to see that. Now, I, I'm I'm a big sports buff. I'm a big, mm. I'm a big sports junkie. What is huge in sports right now is data, uh, sabermetrics, um, analytics, uh, just just stats on crap, basically. And yeah, it's 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 not as conducive to video games because it's it, they're they're apples and oranges. You can't really compare sports and video games, really. Right. Um, but uh, the, what over, what overlap we do have? I think it'd be I think it'd be really interesting to see, and I, and I don't think this this might not even be discussed in the um, in the uh, panel. In the panel. But the fact that the interest exists is exciting to me. Now, I would love to see um, advanced statistics for like top level uh, Street Fighter players. Like, I would love to see. Uh, analytics on Daigo. You know, I would love to see the way that the way that we completely dissect major league pitchers and, you know, hockey goalies and this these this and that in sports and just like throw every conceivable like concoct every conceivable statistic that we can out of everything that they've done in their entire career and just put a number on it and say, oh yeah, you know, like uh Yaroslav Halak has, you know, a pretty bad um you know, goalie average it's at nine point uh, at point nine one, but you know his his win rate is higher, so we should draft him. And the New York Islanders drafted him, and they're currently in first place. And you know, with a with a what would seem on paper to be an average goaltender, so right. it's it's interesting because you can you can use these numbers, and they seem like they seem like nonsense at first, but when put into practice, they are almost. They are they are accurate to a scary degree, and I and I think that the the fact that there is this interest in the video game culture of statistics is uh, makes me happy because because you can statistics are great because statistics is just information with with a number. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody knows everybody knows that. Everybody knows how many matches Daigo has won. Everybody knows uh, you can look and and say, um, "Oh, this is how many times uh, Justin Wong has played in you know the this in Evo." You know how many total matches in Evo. We we'll use Evo as as you know just like uh, we'll use just Evo to simplify things. Like this is how many matches he's played in Evo. This is his uh, win percentage with. This character with win percentage with that character. I mean, everybody can see that, and everybody sort of already knows this. But when you see the number that's attached to it, it's it's fascinating. And I and I don't know if this is what the panel's going to be about, but 
Uh, it might just be other numbers, other statistics in the industry, but I am a stats buff. Uh, I am uh, a sports buff. It, it definitely lends itself to competition because it's just people, human beings, playing against each other all the time. And right. uh, they are, um, the numbers are, are conducive, and I, and I would like to see it go in that direction. And if there's an interest in, in that, which this panel would lend me to believe, uh, then I'm going to check it out. And um, worst case scenario, it'll be a, a talk about stats, which I which I love. But um, as far as implication to competitive gaming uh, in the way that it has been implemented in the past 20 years into professional sports, I think that'd be really interesting. So I'm glad that you put that one down there because I also wanted to check that out. Um, yeah, and... Um, yeah, go ahead. It's funny because, yet again, you kind of brought a perspective I hadn't even thought about. Because what I'm... 80% sure this panel is going to be about, uh, you talked about being the sports junkie. I'm approaching this from the business guy because what I'm pretty sure this is going to actually be about is them looking at things like, okay, what kind of, that's a nasty boss. Ooh, we're, about, uh, we're about to what, find a boss y'all. Yeah. We're about to have to pause this, but, uh, uh, things like, Oh, what kind of games have been selling, you know, uh, what kind of things aren't selling that kind of stuff, you know, yeah, sales yeah. Stats. Tre- trends, trends in the industry, rather trends than in, in the industry. Rather than and I think those are going to be yeah. extremely important to know about because as we know, the gaming industry is very, very me too. Yeah. Uh, as soon as something gets picked up upon, you know, that's it. Everybody's going to have it. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I was just, I was at the gym and I was talking to um, one of the instructors who's also, you know, pretty deep into games himself, mildly surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he said to me, you know, I'm really tired of shooters right now because not even because uh, he finds them to be all similar. It's one thing he knows is that they all have the exact same control scheme. Hmm. And when he pointed that out, I was like, that's interesting because I understand fully why they all have the control, same control scheme because you have the Call of Duty slash Gears of War template for first and third person shooters, respectively. And it's very much a case if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, that would lead to, at a very basic level, a very samey experience for a lot of games. So it's very interesting. I always try to keep my kind of finger on the pulse of kind of where things are headed and, you know, kind of trying to read the tea leaves of where things are going. Uh, where things are going, we can have that discussion after PAX because I'm sure we're going to find out a lot of stuff that may influence our our opinions on that. But I think that's kind of where this panel is most likely going to have its discussion centered. Mm-hmm. Though that said, what you talked about is very, very interesting to me. Yeah, and Big- I, I I know that uh, everybody always thinks it's weird that I'm in that are my my two biggest uh, like. Uh, like observer interests are with video games and sports. Everybody thinks like, Oh, there's no way you could be like a jock and a nerd. Uh, like, well, guess what? You know, I am. So, uh, it's, it, it always, it I always try and find ways to not, not ways to, but I, I always look for the similarities. I always look for, you know, where the two overlap and it's, it's always way more than, uh, than people think. So those are, for for those of you who don't know me, I am uh, have always been a big gamer, and uh, I've been to 
uh, probably more sporting events before I could form memories than you have been to in your entire life. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it was just sort of like, this is what I've spent my whole life doing is watching sports and playing video games and thinking about sports and thinking about video games. So these, these are my two big things. This is, um, and there's, like I said, there's always m way more overlap than is initially thought. So that's naturally where my mind goes to when I see something about video game statistics. I'm like, oh, cool. They're going to, they're going to calculate, um, Daigo's win percentage yeah, and stuff like that. They're gonna count uh, Daigo's win percentage. They're gonna they're gonna count his um, XFIP and they're gonna uh, account for his you know other stuff it's like block rate or whatever. Like that's gonna be great. It's um, funny because um, side note that you talk about the overlap between being jock and being nerd. That my instructor I was just talking about hilarious because he's, he's like a, a comp sci right? major. Yeah, but he you know can has been winning amateur boxing fights mm -hmm. and as a, as a massive gamer as i said before he said he spent far too much time <laughs> playing wow to the point where it impacted his training for boxing oh wow so, <laughs> we've all he heard, been, us, we've he heard all us been there read the term wow and he was like running up the stairs like who's talking about wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've all been, we've all gotten to that point where our professional fighting career has been impacted by our wow play, playing so yeah exactly we've all been there we've all we've been all there, been there. Uh, no, but what you're saying is absolutely cool. And, um, as a brief aside on that, uh, that, I, another reason why I think that that's probably not going to be discussed much at this panel is that I honestly think what you're talking about really deserves its own entire discussion. Oh yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll have a future episode about, about, the, yeah, uh, the because I think that's definitely going to be something. I think yeah, we're gonna have to have an esports episode because uh, oh, that yeah. is definitely something that could play into the future of esports. Yeah, that's, you know, um, as especially as it seeks legitimacy. But yes, considering on what other fun topics are we going to be exploring this back? Okay, let's see what what else we got. So for uh, Saturday, we have a um, let's see what what else did we both have as far as an overlap. Um, all right. There's on Saturday. It's this seems like it's pretty uh, Saturday heavy, but uh, Twitch panels. A couple of Twitch panels. Ah, yes, this sort of goes. This sort of goes hand in hand with the um, with the uh, AGDQ community. Uh, the streaming community also has, it, has exploded recently. They they definitely go hand in hand because Twitch is the main sponsor for the uh, Awesome Games Done Quick community and the speedrun community in general uh, and it's in large part thanks to twitch that they became such a big deal these days yeah so twitch twitch you know ha has always had a presence but they're they're basically taking over saturday uh which, yeah. which is great and important i mean twitch is it's only a matter of time before before twitch gets a television deal it's it's like it's it's too big to fail at this point i don't think it's going anywhere and uh that's a good thing it's not going anywhere, but I don't see television in its future because I think a lot of people that use and a lot of people at Twitch self would say this is really – it's completely its own – Well, I don't want to use the word medium, but kind of its own thing. Let me let me argue with you quick. We are running out of time, but let me argue with you really quick. Um, to, to have that discussion, we need to have a completely other discussion in where cable television is going in the next 10 years. Oh, um, Lord, so yes. That's a, that's a completely different uh, podcast episode, but – uh, I don't think that it's out of the question for television to look to things that today they might seem as a gimmick to mm -hmm. be to being a uh, you know a company saver in the future. So right. we'll we'll save that for another another time. But 
I definitely don't want to rule out Twitch getting a television deal. Don't don't even. I, I think I think that it's. I think that in the future, and we're, we're going to end it here. But I think that in the future, um, we could see like Netflix and Twitch like doing a thing and having their own television or like cable television package thing. Um, but that'll be for another, that'll be for another one. So we have we have the Twitch panels. We have the. Um, Games are good for you. How gaming improves our lives. Panel at six thirty on Saturday. Another, another sort of recurring uh, theme is how do you use video games to cope with the atrocities of everyday life, um, like going to school and being unpopular, or um, being, you know, having you know other sorts of uh, emotional issues, or just getting through a hard time. Maybe a death in a family. This is. This is something that uh, Pax has been talking about for a long time. Um, it's sort and of it's definitely to... important to the core attendee base of the show. Oh, absolutely. You know, P- Pax is it, one of the one of the big things that Frog Snacks loves about Pax is that it is this ultimate fantasy world. Almost, it's it's a giant escape, but they don't um, they don't let you get off that easy. They they want you to they want you to learn something about you, and they want they want you to learn something about yourself, and they want you to share your story um you're there to you're there to escape you're there to enjoy something that you you love but they want to know why and they want to tell you why and that's a great thing and um that sort of goes hand in hand with the with the inclusion aspect of it is that like yeah you you may feel marginalized but look around you there's like 20 billion people here um and they're all (laughs) here for the same reason you are so uh Tell, tell, share your story. We, we've got stories for you. We want you to feel included. We want you to, you know, know that what you're going through is not just you. Everybody here has had some form of it, had some form of it. Everybody used video games as their coping mechanism and it's a beautiful thing. And we're all here to share that together. So that's another thing. Uh, that's the, um, the games are good for you. How gaming improves our lives panel at 6 30 PM on Saturday. Um, followed are uh, actually going um and if you were feeling in uh, that you that you need to uh, attend the settle it in smash panel that's happening at the same time uh, that's definitely going to be a tough decision to make for a lot of people um, including me including <laughs> me yeah and then uh, so real quick for Sunday we have of course absolutely a absolute must absolute. If you don't do any of these other panels. At PAX, one shame on you, but two, go, 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 go to the Gearbox panel. If you've never played a Borderlands game, I feel bad for you, son, but go to the Gearbox <laughs> panel. It's 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 a blast. The guys at Gearbox are hilarious. They're awesome. They're super engaging, and they always give out free shit. So yep. go go to that panel. I mean, you at this point, you got to get there. Uh, like as soon as you walk in the door on Sunday, uh, it starts at 10:30 a.m. Uh, I think doors open at what nine or something on Sunday. Something like that. So, but you you basically listen. Get your get your DS, get your Vita, and as soon as you walk in that door on Sunday, go to the go to the main theater where they have the Gearbox panel and get comfy because if you don't get there first, you're not going to be able to get in, and you're going to be mad when you don't. So, uh, Gearbox panel, absolute must. Um, after that, we have the, uh, we have the How Local Co-op Resurgence is Saving Social Gaming. 
uh, at 3.30. That is, you know, of course, something that we've been talking about, something that PAX is obviously thinking about as well. Uh, so that's going to be a panel that we're going to be attending. That's going to be a lot of fun. And then followed by another uh, streaming panel, Dropped Frames Inside the Minds of Full-Time Streamers. We do have a friend who is trying to work his way into the, the streaming um, realm, the streaming realm, the streaming culture. He's, uh, you know, he's obviously it lends itself to, uh, to that because he is, um, he's been involved in the fighting game community for a long time. Uh, we'll probably have him on the podcast in the near future. Uh, he's our good friend, but, um, if you're interested in the same thing, you definitely want to go to the, that panel. Uh, again, it's called Dropped Frames Inside the Minds of Full-Time Streamers uh, for a lot of, I'm sure, very helpful insight as to how you can get in on the stream circuit, make a name for yourself, and, uh, you know, do the damn thing. Um, and then uh, and then at 7.30 p.m. on Sunday... Um, the Boston Bruins are playing the Detroit Red Wings, um, <laughs> and uh, I think uh, I think me and Irvis might go to that game. To be honest, packs will be pretty much over by then, and uh, mm-hmm. why not? We'll go see a hockey game. Um, so that's sort I love of, it. That's on our radar. Uh, Boston's a fun town. You know, you'd you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you've never been there and you spent the entire time inside the convention center, which you easily could do. But uh, yep. give your, give yourself a couple hours to to look around the city. Um, it's, it's a, it's a small town. It's easy to transverse via the metro system that they have in place. There's lots of cool restaurants. It's a college town, lots of bars, lots of fun, lots of good stuff. And it'll be cold. So you'll want to be indoors at one of these places anyway. So, um, we will, if you are going to be attending PAX East 2015, we will see you there. Um, we will be running deep this year. Uh, and everybody that we are going with and everybody that we're going with uh, has been to at least one PAX. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We're, we're going to have a blast. You can find us at any of the panels that we mentioned uh, in the handheld lounge or in the uh, Smash slash Street Fighter lounge. Um, we, will have a, we will have the sign that we discussed in uh, episode one. Um, the LFG sign. So if, <laughs> if you want, if you want to play, if you want to play your more obscure team-based handheld titles, such as Freedom Wars or Monster Hunter, we'll be there. If you want to get bodied in Smash, we'll be there. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, look for look for Frog Snacks at, at PAX East. And um, again, you can tweet us nice things at at Frog Snacks, or you can email us nice things at Frog Snacks Podcast at Yahoo.com. And uh, that was episode three of uh, Frog Snacks. And we will see you guys next time. AP after packs. Yeah, exactly. AP after packs. All right. Peace out, everyone. <laughs>